Donald Trump called him tough. Rush Limbaugh read one of his articles live on his radio show. Ann Coulter tweeted that article to her one and a half million followers and declared, every sentence is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, former chief editor of the Jewish Press, Elliot Resnick. Welcome to the Elliot Resnick Show. With us today is Rabbi Ben Packer, a former Jewish Press columnist, director of the Jerusalem Heritage House in Israel, and co-director of Young Jewish Conservatives here in America. On his Facebook feed a few days ago, Rabbi Packer posted a picture of a photoshopped Lego box with hundreds of individual gray pieces laying haphazardly on top of each other and the words Gaza City on the cover of the box. I thought to myself, this is a man worthy of being interviewed. Rabbi Packer, before I turn to your apparent scorched earth proposal for Gaza, tell our audience where you live and how you found out about the horrible atrocities two weeks ago. I live in the old city of Jerusalem. Baruch Hashem. And the first rocket alert I heard was during davening. I was in the rabbi of the old city, Rabbi Vidor Nevensal Shlita's uh, minion for Simchas Torah, and I heard the rocket alert, but I didn't think much of it. And then I work in outreach in Kiruv, so when I came back to the heritage house where I work, there are a lot of guys who are not so observant, so they told me that they had seen a lot of crazy stuff on their phones. And then we had another lone soldier staying with us who works in the intelligence departments. And he sat me down and said, listen, uh, this is very serious. You need to know what's going on. I want to get to really the more important thing is what we're supposed to do about all this now. But people are asking also, how could this possibly have happened? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's the big question in Israel as well. Uh, People are rather shocked. I would say also that it's compounded by the fact that There have been numerous incidents since then, and the Army and Air Force have done a very good job of stopping the terrorists from coming, as they always have. I'm not saying there weren't ever exceptions, but in general, the Army is very good at this. And how could the thing have gone on for hours without being able to stop people from going back and forth on the border? It's very hard to understand. Of course, there are a lot of conspiracy theories, and I wouldn't ignore them. There's this idea that there was too much of a reliance on technology. It remains obviously a bit of a mystery, especially anyone who's been in the military, anyone who's been on that border. You've probably heard numerous people say this, I'm sure. Anything that moves over there gets a lot of attention. So the idea that thousands of people would come across the border, it's, I mean, it's just one of those things that is, I mean, no one would have ever thought possible. What's the mood of the people now in Israel, where you are in the old city in general? I would say the mood is one of, uh, I don't know what the word is, dedication. Everyone feels like we're all connected, we're all united, and we all have to be together to take out Hamas. I don't know anybody who feels otherwise. Hamas must be taken out. Israel must return to Gaza. Jewish communities must be built there again. I don't know anybody who feels otherwise. Everybody is praying for the army and for the soldiers, and for the hostages. Everybody's on the same page. It's remarkable. When you say the same page, though, everyone, yes, is on the same page that we have to destroy Hamas, but the other elements you added about actually reconquering the area and rebuilding Jewish settlements in the area, is everyone on the same page on those two elements as well? I think there's a lot of people who maybe don't realize that's what they're saying, but if you want to have security, you have to have the army. And if you want to have the army... 
you have to have Jewish communities. That's the way it is on all the borders of Israel. There's no chance we're going back to the same situation as it was before. I think everybody realizes that. These communities that were butchered are not going to be the border communities. They're not going to be on the border facing down our enemies. That is not going to happen. So what is going to happen? The only realistic thing to happen is that the army plus other communities will be farther. I don't know how far. We'll see how far this goes. But I don't see any other realistic situation. I mean, does anyone think these communities are just going to go back to living there next to the Arabs? You know, people use the word Hamas as if it's like uh, some kind of club that exists within Gaza. I mean, it is Gaza. There, There are people who are not Hamas. They're more extreme. So I don't know on what planet people are going to go back to live in that area next to the Arabs who just either butchered them or supported the butchering. I, I, don't, I don't see it. Well, maybe. I'm just letting you know what people sort of say here in America. I don't know what people say in Israel. Like, oh, we'll take out Hamas. And then people have this imagination. You take out Hamas and maybe somehow the Arabs of Gaza are going to be electing some Thomas Jeffersons to run their government. Or if that doesn't happen, you know, buy us some time and maybe the, the communities won't go back to living there. Maybe they'll be abandoned. Maybe they'll move further north and there'll be some empty land there. I mean, look, we did this already once before. Like we, They pulled all the Jews out of Gaza and they said it's going to be fine. It's going to be a bunch of Thomas Jeffersons, as you said. And, uh, you know, it didn't work out very well, let's just say. And uh, now it's really not working out well. It's, it's gone from bad to incredibly bad. And listen, I mean, at some point, you just got to act like a grown-up and understand the situation. You know, I don't think giving away land for peace is a good idea on any level. However, there's what to be said about these peace treaties that we have with Egypt and Jordan, where they were given land in exchange for peace. Neither one of those countries have launched attacks on Israel from their land there. So, okay, I don't agree with it, but... There's what to be argued. But giving away land without peace is just, I mean, that is just incredibly stupid. It's, it's, it's immature. We gave them land. They said, we'll attack you from this land. And we said, uh, we hope you don't. Now they're both doing it at the same time. Right? So you have Hezbollah in the north and Hamas in the south, both from land that we used to have and that we gave to them. And then they did exactly what they said they were going to do, which is attack us. So that's where we find ourselves. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, you have a picture of a photoshopped Lego box with Gaza basically in shambles. No buildings left, just a bunch of ruins. I think the message of this Lego box is pretty obvious, but spell it out for us if you would. You know, we, Israel, destroyed Jewish communities and turned the area over to terrorists. And now the terrorists have conducted a massacre of Israelis. So the only solution is to do the opposite. We need to destroy their communities, as we'll call them, their havens of terrorism, and repopulate them with Jewish people. That's what we need to do. Now, could we theoretically use their buildings? I guess so. But I don't know. It seems to make more sense to knock them down and rebuild Do you think the government's going to actually reconquer Gaza, build Jewish communities there, I think they are against their will. Just like the current government in Israel is a right-wing government, even though Netanyahu clearly expressed his desire for a more moderate government, and the left said no, 
So he got right wing. And now maybe Netanyahu, maybe other people, I don't know who, might be against Jews returning to Gaza. But it seems like God says, no, uh, we're going to have to do that. I don't think they're going to have a choice. That's my feeling. It's also my personal desire. I admit that. But I think that's the reality. The reality is, you know, like you said before, I mean, who's going to rule this place? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Hamas, Islamic Jihad, ISIS, whatever other crazy group there is? I don't know. Is it going to be the Palestinian Authority? No one seems to like them. I mean, the guy's like 100 years old. The whole thing makes no sense. There's this guy, Mohammed Dahlan. Is he going to fly in from the, the UAE and take over and save the day? Maybe. I mean, is there an Arab Batman? It just seems incredibly unlikely. I personally don't think the Israeli government is going to do it. But even if it did, let's not kid ourselves. Reconquering Gaza and resettling Jews there would take us back to 2005. 2005 was not a good year for the Jewish people either. A lot better than this year. Well, that's true. But isn't the problem a little bit deeper than the current situation? I mean, every single year, five or ten Jews are stabbed in the streets of Israel or gunned down in their bed. Sure, sure. But there's a very important there's a very important saying. A bad situation can't be worse. Every bad situation can be worse. You can make it worse. You really can. And we really have. We made it worse. I'm not saying I have a perfect solution. Maybe I do. But whatever it is, it's better than making it worse. What's your this thing solution? that just happened? That's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. What's your perfect solution? The Jews have to control the area. That's clear. And these people aren't interested in that. So what do you do? Someone has to go. Who's it going to be? We already went. And how did that go? Not great. So now it's their turn to go. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it should have been their turn to go originally. I don't know. But now it's their turn to go. Where should they go? I don't know. I mean, seemingly Egypt would be a good place. You know, there's an interesting thing. Everyone's familiar with 1948. The Arabs all said they're going to throw the Jews into the sea. But why was that the only option? Why not send them on trains through Lebanon back to Europe or to Iran at the time? You know, it was relatively friendly. There were a lot of other options. Why throw them into the sea? Maybe they were just telling us how you fix the problem. Yeah, I saw you had this Facebook post where you said, um, send the Arabs into the sea. And you were quoting your old alma mater in regards to joining the swimming team, either you sink or you swim. And you said either the Arabs will sink and they'll be eaten by sharks or they'll be able to swim all the way to Africa. Either solution was okay with you, you basically said. I think it's really, I think it's really important to emphasize how little we should care. I think that's important. We should really care very little what happens to these people. This made-up, innocent civilians thing, which is nonsense. Look what happened. I don't even watch these videos. I can't even imagine watching these videos of what happened. But, I mean, people who've seen some pretty bad stuff in life, they say this stuff is pretty awful. I think we're past the caring part. I think they need to go, and however that needs to happen, that's what needs to happen. Okay, I hope the Israeli government is on the same page as you. I know many people in Israel are on the same page as you, but I'm not sure about the Israeli government. Often I think there's a disconnect between the people of Israel and their leaders. They've made it very difficult, very difficult to go in a different direction here.
Okay, um, is there going to be a little bit of a delay because of the hostage situation? Seemingly that's the case. The soldiers are there and ready to go. Although it's important to point out that as each day goes by, the soldiers don't get weaker, they get stronger. They practice more, they get their gear in line better. It's not like they're just sitting there. They are preparing. And the more prepared they are, the better. So it's not like this waiting is such the end of the world. But certainly the hostage situation very much complicates the situation. Everybody wants to see the hostages rescued. I don't know how realistic it is, but, you know, if it means waiting a week or two or I don't you know, whatever the military decision making says, then I think most people are okay with that. I think the soldiers okay with that. I think everybody understands the situation to some basic degree. So if it has to be delayed and we have to suffer from rocket attacks and these kinds of things, then okay. But it's going to happen, obviously. I mean, obviously, there is going to be a ground war. Yeah, I want an air war, actually, much more than a ground war. I don't know if you saw, I wrote an article for Rutsheva last week about how the United States beat Japan in World War II. And it was entirely from the air. We killed 400,000 people, mostly civilians. But You know, listen, you got to make the tough decisions or you suffer the tough consequences. So... I just don't want right to, now we're suffering I the tough consequences, to... and hopefully it'll move us to make the tough decisions. I just don't want Israel to put its soldiers' lives in danger because of some stupid notion of innocent civilians. First bomb in the air. I agree. I agree. Place. I agree completely. But I, I agree completely. I think at some point we have to. Uh, I mean, we have to go back into Gaza. I mean, I think we have. Yeah, no, you have to go in. We have to go back yeah, into Gaza. Right, but first clear the area. And, and like you said, like you said, the delay, the delay in that sense is not the end of the world because we are hurting them every day we are hurting them every day right and that's great that's That's great in terms of the hostages i mean i'm a very big hawk like you are but that's actually the one area that i'm not really certain about it's possible that we should wait we already waited one or two weeks maybe we should wait another week i don't know but i do think it's worthy of pointing out that it's not clear to me at all that weakness in this case is better than strength for example if you buried the terrorists underground, you destroy the tunnels, and then they're now buried underground. If you're a terrorist, would you be more or less likely to negotiate if you were buried underground? I think you'd be more likely to negotiate, not less. Look, the chances, unfortunately, are not great either way. But it's not at all clear that weakness is a better strategy than ruthless strength. There's a lot of options that we have never used. Why do they take the hostages to begin with? They would say that's because... They want to negotiate for the terrorists that are in Israeli prisons. Well, if we had the death penalty, we could start using it on some of these people. They're definitely deserving of it. So, you know, that would strengthen our hand if they were losing the people they're trying to get. There's a lot, there's a lot of things we can do. We pretend like a lot of these things are out of bounds. We have a lot of options. And I think Hamas has taken us to the situation where those options should be on the table. Okay, tell me a bit about your organization, Jewish Heritage House. What is it? What does it do? Also, on your Facebook feed, I constantly see you with a shovel digging. What are you digging? What's going on there? Listen, we're an outreach organization. We try to connect young Jewish people to their heritage. People who are, for whatever reason, not in Jewish educational institutions, yeshivas, and the like. So we're working with people who are traveling to Israel, Maybe they're students in a university or they're on a gap year program 
or they're going to the army as lone soldiers. And so we're trying to help them connect with their Jewish heritage as best as possible. And, you know, one of the ways we do that is by trying to help them connect to the land of Israel and help. They're here to help the Jewish people. So we help them help the Jewish people by strengthening the Jewish presence, whether that's helping to rebuild synagogues or helping with people with their agricultural endeavors on farms with their harvests or their plantings or clearing of trash from areas to beautify Jewish communities in the land of Israel. Getting our hands dirty is basically the idea. And um, becoming really part of the narrative, part of the incredible story of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, and staying part of that story. That's really our goal. But it seems that you, or maybe it's an organization that you're working with, is buying houses from Arabs in the old city and making them Jewish again. Is that part of what you're trying to do? Sure, but we work with anyone who's trying to strengthen the Jewish presence and Jewish identity. Uh, many organizations in different facets are doing that, whether they're buying houses from Arabs, reclaiming houses from Arabs, whether they're just developing the land agriculturally, residentially, spiritually. That's a big one. So we try to be involved in those kinds of things. I mean, planting trees is wonderful, but planting trees around synagogues is nicer. We try to involve our guests in as much of Jewish life and development of Jewish life as possible that will affect them personally. Last thing, tell us a bit about, you're the co-director of Young Jewish Conservatives, an organization in America. You're in Israel, but you used to live in America. Tell us a bit about that organization, if you would. Well, that organization is an amazing organization. Basically, the point is to help people who are fine Jewish people, but often find themselves ostracized from the larger Jewish community, which is overwhelmingly liberal and uh, misguided. And these people are they're politically conservative through the grace of God. And they're discriminated against in Hillel's and in JCC's and by federations. You know, all the nonsense that goes on in America. So we help them realize that there's nothing wrong with them. The opposite, there's a lot right with them. And they very much have a home within the Jewish community. And that's what we try to do. We try to connect them with the Jewish community that embraces them. And it's incredibly successful and incredibly rewarding. I remember when we met in person a few years ago at CPAC. Every year at CPAC, for any Jew who goes, you provide Shabbos meals and hold many Shabbaton. You told me at the time, that, which I thought was interesting, that it's actually much easier to make a Republican or a conservative Jew from than it is to make a liberal or a Democrat Jew from. Explain why. Well, these people, first of all, they have values, they have morals. You know, they might not have the knowledge that they need of Judaism to be fully observant, but that's simple enough to fix. So they're coming from the right place, and they end up in the right place, many of them. So that's the idea. And, you know, I wish for everybody to connect with their Jewish heritage and feel part of the Jewish people. But the reality is that the Democratic Party and the circles that they associate with can be very anti-Israel, very anti-Jewish, certain very anti-traditional Judaism. And, you know, that's not a place for Jewish people. Whereas the Republican Party, the more conservative circles, they're not perfect, obviously, but... They can be a much more hospitable place for proud Jewish people these days. One example you gave me, which I thought was interesting, you said when you take trips to Israel, at least you used to take people on trips. I don't know if you still do. But when you used to take these trips, 
and you're on a tour and you told the group, okay, now it's Mincha time, boys on one side, women on the other side, no one complained. Whereas if you were taking a liberal group, almost certainly you would have had some girls saying, what do you mean? Why should I go the other side? Why can't I be with the boys? So I thought that was very interesting. You said, like, the Republicans are like, yeah, sure, fine, that's the rule, I'll obey it. It's a matter of respect and humility. You know, those are two things the Democratic Party and their people very much lack. It's a certain understanding of this is how things are done. Who am I to come along and think that I know better? It's a certain humility that is extremely healthy in life in general and is very much built into Judaism. And it exists within the conservative uh, political world. This humility and this uh, respect for tradition, for the way things have been done, because that is a good way of doing things. And you might not understand that all the time, but you're humble enough to realize that that's a real possibility. And that goes very nicely with Judaism. And we see that it works very well. We're supposed to have a trip actually next month. As of right now, it doesn't look like it's going to work out. But absolutely amazing people signed up for this trip to Israel. And I hope it will happen in the future if it doesn't happen next month. But absolutely amazing young Jewish people and who probably feel ostracized in many Jewish spaces, which is ridiculous, but that's the reality. And we provide them with a space where they can flourish. All right. That does it for us. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to it and giving it a good rating and a nice review if you're so inclined. I hope you enjoyed the episode and have a great day or a great night, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. 